Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. This is Maria Shabla, and welcome to Behind the Warrior. Today, we will be speaking with Purple Heart recipient and president of the EOD Motorcycle Club, Tony Two Stroke Cerrone. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tony. Thank you for having me, Maria. Appreciate it. You're so welcome. Well, I always like to start from the beginning. So can you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Where'd you grow up and what led you to the Air Force? Well, I grew up in a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a little town called McKee's Rocks. Um, It's a little bit ghetto, but it's a good time. Um, you know, uh, divorced parents, you know, what most people deal with these days, um, grew up kind of always knew I wanted to go into the military, just didn't know what branch or why. Uh, my grandfather was in the air force years ago and I was like, you know what? I think that sounds good. So I went to the recruiter and talked to them and found out the different jobs and he gave me EOD and I was like, well, I don't understand what this is. So literally he told me, he said, you can be the character Stanley Goodspeed from the movie, the rock. And it's played by Nicholas cage where you disarm the, the chemical weapon and do this stuff. And I was like, all right, where do I sign up? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm a big fan of anything dumb, dangerous or stupid. <laughs> Um, you have to tell me the name of that movie again, because I'm going to have to watch that. It's called The Rock. The Rock. Um, it's some bad guys take over Alcatraz Island, and uh, the main character Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. So that's the reason that you went into the EOD career field. That is yes, hilarious. ma'am. <laughs> do, do you think you knew what you were getting yourself into? Not exactly. Um, you know, it. I knew I got to blow things up and that I could be a bomb squad guy and essentially be the hero to save the day. And that was good enough for me. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about your career in the Air Force? So I spent 12 years in Air Force EOD. Um, I deployed four times. I went to Iraq in 2006. Um I was out of forward operating base Orion, which is just south of Balad Air Base, and spent most of my time on MSR Tampa. Um, that was a lot. What is um, MSR Tampa? Main supply route. So it's the main road going up through Iraq. Okay. So once it gets north of Baghdad, MSR Tampa comes through what was our AO or area of operation. Um, And that's what we supported. Back then, we were running two-man EOD teams before everything went to three-man. Interesting. Um, I did a little trip to West Africa where we helped the local D-miners learn how to do uh, basic EOD procedures to help clear villages of unexploded ordnance. 
whether they could move it to a better location to get rid of it or if they had to blow it up where it was. Um, 2009, I went to Afghanistan. Uh, did a lot of different jobs while I was there, all being EOD, but got to support a lot of different units, uh, U.S. and coalition forces. Uh, spent a lot of times working with the Brits. I had a really good time with that. And in 2011, I helped close down Baghdad, at least from the Air Force EOD perspective. Wow, that, that is quite a career right there. Um, now, you were awarded the Purple Heart for injuries sustained during combat operations while you were deployed to Afghanistan in 2009. Um, can you tell our listeners about that mission? Um, it, I guess I wouldn't call it exactly one mission, but multiple missions. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like most other awards that you get, it's a lot of different things combined into one. Um, and personally, I tried to deny the Purple Heart. I didn't think I should get it because all of my friends that have it, most of them are dead or missing limbs. And I didn't feel like TBI was a good enough reason. Um, come to find out later on in life, all the things that being blown up and the TBI has caused, uh, it, it's definitely something that I'm glad that they wouldn't let me refuse it. I'm, I'm very glad they didn't let you as well. Um, and thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, I read in an article out of Tyndall Air Force Base um, where you had advocated for others to seek help if they need it, and you had specifically mentioned NICO. Um, can you tell us what compelled you to give that encouragement to your fellow service members? Yes. So, you know, back in the beginning, EOD was all about, you know, don't tell people you're hurt. Don't tell people this. Don't tell people that. You, you want to keep it all internal. Well, keeping everything internal leads to a lot more problems. Um, it's better to talk about it and get the help you need so that you can get back on mission. Um, you know, I've gone through certain training where I've almost broke my ankle and I'm like trying to put splints on myself so I can still deploy because that's where I actually get to do my, my real job. Um, but whenever it starts coming into uh, things with the brain, a lot of things that I learned while I was at NICO for a solid month how it changes you whenever your brain rattles around inside your skull from TBI. There's so many different changes that it can make that you really need to go and get that professional help so that they can help regulate because for instance, my body doesn't regulate testosterone anymore like a normal person my own age. So I have to take testosterone injections that is one thing that's common among individuals with mild or severe TBI. Um, whenever it rattles things around, your body just, it doesn't receive the signals the same way it used to. 
And so it changes up how it produces certain um, chemicals in your body. So it sounds like you had a, a really good experience at, in NICO and they were able to help you um, get through a lot of that. Yes. And, you know, NICO was wonderful. Um, I know not everybody got to go. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Army has put smaller NICO centers on some of the bases. Uh, but it helped me a lot in getting certain medicines that would have probably taken me years to get through normal military channels. They were able to take it and go, all right, you know, we see these common problems amongst soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines with TBI, you know, here's these certain cognitive tests to see, hey, you know, I think my first day at NICO, they took 25 vials of blood to test wow. for everything. Mm -hmm. um, part of TBI is a lot of low vitamins, uh, vitamin D, which you get from the sunlight. I mean, we were out in the sun in the middle of Iraq, Afghanistan. You get a lot of sun. Mm -hmm. uh, same with the guys who are down there in Florida. Um, I live out in West Texas right now, and I get a lot of sun, but I still have a vitamin D deficiency because my body doesn't absorb it or translate it like it should due to uh, multiple concussions from TBI. Yeah, I, I think it's it's wonderful um, that you did seek out and get get help with NICO and and get a plan and learn more about you know what was causing different symptoms because I really think there's a lot of um, EOD techs in the community that probably have a diagnosis of TBI um, and they have not gotten treatment for it. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that with us and hopefully it would motivate others to reach out for help too. So thank you for, for sharing that story. Um, yeah, Tony, no worries. Yeah, thank you. So, Tony, you are the current president of the EUDMC and are relatively new to the position. Um, can you tell us how you first got involved with EUDMC and how your involvement has evolved? So, whenever I returned home from Afghanistan in 2009, um, I had heard about the EUDMC. Um, I've been riding motorcycles since... 18, 19 years old. So um, I turned 39 here in April. So 20 years that I've been riding, 20 plus. Um, I love motorcycles. My uncle used to take me out on his whenever I was a little kid. And I just loved being out in the wind. Um, but I'm not your average rider that only takes my bike out on weekends or whenever it's perfect weather. Um, I ride year round. I ride in inclement weather here in West Texas. We have 20, 30, 40 a mile an hour winds and I'll almost be leaning sideways to go straight. Oh my gosh. But I love being on two wheels more than being in a, in what we call a cage a motor vehicle that you're completely encapsulated. Wow, it's a cage. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, 
And so I can honestly tell you this time in my life, I have probably put over 100,000 miles on two wheels. Wow. Um, the EODMC is two of the things that I love most in life, motorcycles and the EOD community. And I get to be a biker and support the EOD community by being in both or by being in the EODMC. Um, yes, I was nominated just like any other election to president of the EODMC beginning of last year. Um, it's taken a little time for me to get my feet under me and figure out the direction that I would like our club to go and how I would like it to get there. Uh, one of the things is in today's day and age, everything is uh, technical. It's on the internet, it's podcasts, it's, it's electronic. I'm not that great with electronics, but for my club to evolve and move forward in life, I have to evolve whether I want to or not, because it's what's best for the club and the EOD community, not what's best for Tony. Right. And, and that's true. You have to be able to adapt with the, t with the times. So, um, so well, we appreciate you being on our podcast. So, <laughs> well, thank you. I do yeah. appreciate it. Um, so for those of us who know nothing about motorcycle clubs like myself, um, can you tell me about the um, EOD MC? Is it just like Sons of Anarchy? And are you all in the one percenters club or the 99 percenters club? Okay, so now this is probably going to be the most controversial part of this podcast, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad we're touching on it. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, the TV series... It was a TV show, just like all the EOD techs out there can tell you that uh, the movie The Hurt Locker was nothing like what we really do in real life. I've heard um, that. They have to Hollywoodize it, is what I call it. You know, they've got to make it where people are grasped to it and want to watch the next episode or can't wait for the next moment of the movie. Um, being in a motorcycle club, we don't fall into the 1% or 99% of bikers, however you want to say that. Um, our club is neutral. We're like Switzerland. We get along with everybody, whether it's motorcycle clubs or riding clubs. Uh, we ride year-round in any weather to support the EOD community in any capacity that we are needed. Um, we have been the escorts for the bicycle races. Um, I know the EOD Warrior Foundation put on a, like a bicycling from the e west to east coast, I believe. Yep, we um, did. Whenever, whenever it was down in Florida, we did the escort portion and blocked off roads for those guys while they were down in parts of Florida back whenever I was stationed at Tyndall. Um, we've done escorts for fallen military and fallen bikers, and we've blocked off areas for privacy, for funerals, so on and so forth. We do what we feel is right, whether it is the accepted opinion or not. Um, 
We're a family of EOD bikers that will ride for hours or days to escort families to the memorial. Um, myself coming from West Texas, I've got almost a 1500 mile ride to be in Florida for the memorial to escort the families on Saturday morning. And it could be windy. It could be rainy. I've done the memorial escort ride and just pouring down rain. But me and my brothers that do it, we're all in it together. Just like whenever EOD techs are overseas, we're all in it together. So it's not as bad as some people might think. It It's not comfortable by any means. But the fact that we're supporting the EOD community and the families whenever we do that escort ride. It sounds like joining a motorcycle club is a very big commitment. Can you tell us what it means to you to be a member of the EODMC? Yes, I can. So it's a long but fulfilling process. Um, For me, it's the brotherhood, camaraderie, and sense of family with old school EOD traditions. Um, My brothers that I have in my club have the same sense of love or same love of riding down the road on two wheels that I do. We love being together and being able to talk not only about, you know, previous deployments and talking about EOD specific things that, you know, I may have figured something out while I was at NICO that maybe my brother from the Marine Corps didn't get a chance to figure out. And it's kind of bothering him from a deployment that I might be able to help him with. Um, Generally, EOD techs don't just talk about their EOD experiences with anyone. We really like to talk to other EOD techs who have been there and chewed the same dirt that we have. Um, The fact that if I called one of my brothers from the motorcycle club and said, hey, I'm broke down on the side of the road and I need help. And the question that I get back is, where am I going and what do I need to bring? It, it's a huge relief to me to know that without question, I can call one of my brothers and ask for help. Whether I'm on the side of the road, broke down in my vehicle, or my family's traveling cross country and they need assistance or a place to stay, um, or just changing a tire on a vehicle because I don't want my wife on the side of the highway changing a tire. But if I have a brother that lives close by If I call him, he will go out of his way to take care of my wife, probably invite her and my daughter over for dinner, get them fed with a good meal, possibly let them crash if they need to, and get them back on the road. It's it's a very tight-knit community. Um, I've also helped and been helped by other people in motorcycle clubs or just motorcycle riders in general. Um, whether they're veterans or not, you know, if you see a biker on the side of the road, 
whether I'm in my vehicle or on my bike, I always pull over and see if they need help. And if I can help them, I do. It's just a courtesy thing amongst bikers, just like you have the guys who, all these guys who drive Jeeps, they joke around and they have their Jeep wave. And it's kind of the same thing whenever it comes to motorcycles. Whenever we start talking about the EOD MC or the MCs in general, um, traditional MCs have a hang around prospect patch holder period, as we talked about before. People think that, you know, hanging around, you just come and hang out and kind of get to know us and party with us, whether that's at a barbecue or an event with alcohol, but you're never required to drink alcohol. I have brothers that don't drink alcohol whatsoever. So don't feel like you have to come and drink with us. We can all have a soda or have a burger. Um, MC lifestyle is different, but most people in an MC will tell you that the hardest thing is not earning your patch, it's keeping it. So the prospecting time is you learning the MC protocol, as it's called, which are like the guidelines to being a traditional motorcycle club. And all the MCs that are out there follow the same basic guidelines. Now, there, there are other guidelines that separate the MCs, like ours, where we only accept NAV school EOD candidates or individuals, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of the MC protocol came about after World War II, whenever the combat veterans came back to the United States and wanted that camaraderie and brotherhood that they had overseas because normal civilians don't understand the, the toll that combat conflict takes on you as a human being and things that you have to make yourself okay with before you, before you're put in that situation. Um, so whenever they came back, a lot of them kind of got together and that's kind of how some of the MCs were formed and the traditions and the bonds. Um, and, you know, I've thought about this quite a while and I kind of consider this in my personal opinion, the, the way we ride in formation, which is two by two in a long column is the pilots in World War II flying in formation. And to see a row of motorcycles riding side by side in close formation, it's a sight to see because it takes a lot of discipline and control because if one person screws up, it's going to hurt everybody in that formation. And the fact that you're trusting each person in that formation with your life and your vehicle is a huge thing. Um, the prospecting time is to get to know your brother and what type of a person he is and make sure that everyone meshes well and that he's not hot-tempered and is going to get us 
into a fight out at a bar whenever he's drinking or just hot tempered in general. Um, because anything that happens within the MC community, all of the other MCs across the globe will know about it within 24 hours because everybody talks. And if I do something that disgraces my MC, then my MC will look bad to all the others. So during the prospecting time, you're learning what to do and what not to do in the MC community as to not disgrace your MC. So prospecting can take a short time or a long time. It really all depends. Um, but before you do that, there's what's called a hang around period where you come and hang out with us and you're not expected to take the trash out or do anything like that. And by all means, you don't have to have a motorcycle to come hang out with us. You know, if we're out there and you want to come and, you know, have a beer with us or a soda or grab a burger and just chat with us, you know, we'll talk about previous EOD deployments or something like that. But you don't have to own a motorcycle or be or want to be part of an MC to come and hang out with us. So don't feel like that's a, um, a requirement because I know a lot of people who just come and hang out with us because we have a good time. We like to listen to music. We like to eat good food. I've been known to eat more food than I probably should, but <laughs> Hey, you know, I like to enjoy life. If you make it all the way through prospecting, it's what's called becoming a patch holder. Whenever you get your patch, to be honest, it's like an EOD school. Whenever you get your EOD badge, you're about to actually learn what it's like to be a full patched member and go out and do things. Um, granted, you're still expected, just like anybody else, to take out the trash. If we have an event, I, by all means, have no problem going and taking out the trash if it needs done. Um, prospecting does get tough. Stick it out. Any brother will tell you that having this patch on my back is just as rewarding as the day of having your EOD badge pinned on you. Now, it's common knowledge in the EOD community that the EOD MC does not allow females to join. Can you tell our listeners why? And do you see this ever changing being that women have been part of the male dominated EOD career field since the seventies? Okay. That is an excellent question. And one that I definitely want to address. We do not allow females or law enforcement to adhere to traditional MC protocol. With that being said, there are other avenues for females or law enforcement that want to ride together in a group. It's called the EOD motor group or EOD MG. They have a different patch and logo than we do. And they're more of a, what's called a riding club. So they have different guidelines that they follow. Um, but they support the EOD community just like us. 
and they support the EOD Warrior Foundation, same as we do. And with that, by all means, if the MC isn't what you're looking for, but you still want that brotherhood, but maybe not all the responsibility of being in a traditional MC, by all means, talk to the EOD MG. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our goal is to help the EOD community. And that's all I really want to do. Okay, well, thank you for that answer. Um, and I'm just wondering, though, do you ever see that changing? I do not see that changing. Okay. Um, the EOD MC does a lot to support the EOD community. Can you tell our listeners about some of these efforts? So we are a 501c3 and a 501c19. Both are charitable organizations. The C19 is a veterans charitable organization. Um, all the money that we take in for donations is turned around and goes straight back out. So we have made monetary donations to the EOD Warrior Foundation individual and individual EOD technicians and their families. Um, I won't really get into the individual stuff, but if you're an EOD tech or family in need, please reach out. The way you can do this is to go to our webpage, eodmc.com, go to the contact us tab and fill out the info below. You can also go to our Facebook page and contact us on there. And if for some reason you don't get a response, my email is president at eodmc.com and I will take care of it. Well, that's fantastic that, that um, EOD techs and families in need can reach out to your group and um, I know the community appreciates that a lot. So, Tony, for someone who might be interested in becoming a member of the EODMC, um, what advice would you give to them? So, it's a long and fulfilling process, but stick it out. Um, to be honest, some of us may look unapproachable, but we're EOD techs just like the rest of us. Um, any brother will tell you having the patch on his back is one of the greatest days in his life. I remember my, my, what I call my club birthdays, the day that I actually earned my patch. Um, with that being said, one of our eight points of our Maltese cross on our patch is truth. And it's a way of life for us, always being truthful. And if you're still interested, the other seven points of the Maltese Cross are on our website at eodmc.com. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for being on this podcast and answering some difficult questions um, and just sharing sharing all of this with the EOD community. Uh, I think this podcast will be very well received and, um, and we appreciate your service as well um, to our country. So 
Um, with that, I'm going to um, end this with asking you a couple, a couple of your favorite things. So the okay. first, <laughs> the first question would be, um, what is your favorite place to ride? I guess my answer would have to be the United States of America. <laughs> I like to ride all over the U.S. <laughs> That's a great answer. Okay, what is your favorite song? Um, probably Still Swinging by Papa Roach. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, always keep getting up and keep going for it. Okay. What's your favorite movie? I would have to say The Rock, which we talked about in the beginning with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Okay. And then what's your favorite style of food? Uh, so I'm a meat, potatoes, and vegetables. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> so thank you again. So, oh, go ahead. Can I add one more thing? Of course you can. Perfect. So, you know, we've all heard the rumors out there about the EODMC. All I ask is that you come meet us and form your own opinions. At the end of March, 25 through 27, we have our annual spring fling in Aaron, Tennessee. If you're up in Colonial Beach, Maryland on 9 April, there's a spaghetti dinner that we do annually. After the EOD Memorial on May 7th, the EODMC is going to be at the American Legion Post 221 in Niceville, Florida from about noon to 1300. After that, we're going to go to the EOD chefs to support them and help the EOD community as best as we can. Okay, that sounds great. So thank you again, Tony, for, for being on our podcast and thank you for being so candid. We appreciate that and we wish you the very best in your new position with the EODMC. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.